Let's talk about everything you ever wanted to know about voiceover rates. You're a voice actor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a VOpreneur. Welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. You need a mobile-friendly demo player on your website that works across any device and platform. VoiceSam has you covered. The player is easy to install, can be skinned to match your site design, and makes your demos instantly downloadable. It even offers options for video and analytics. Sign up for VoiceSam now at voicesam.com slash markscott, and you'll receive a free $25 credit to your account. View the full offer details and sign up at voicesam.com slash markscott. The VOpreneur Podcast. Hey, it doesn't suck. Not as funny as Conan, not as cute as Seth Meyers, not as smart as Colbert, but he's one of us, and that counts for something. Here's Mark Scott, the original Everyday VOpreneur. Hello, and welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. I'm Mark Scott, the original Everyday VOpreneur, and as always, about to dive into another episode filled with actionable, practical advice that you can use for your voiceover business. Just before we get there, If you're enjoying the new format of the podcast, I would love to know about it. And one of the ways that you could let me know, take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to the Everyday Vopreneur podcast. I am always looking forward to hearing your feedback. I want to know that you are enjoying the direction that we're taking. Now, voiceover rates, heavily debated topic. I've done a couple episodes on it in the past. It is something that you see just about every day. In the voiceover groups on Facebook, somebody's always asking a question about rates. This time around, I decided to go right to the source. Let's get the information from the guy who created the guide. So when America moved west, it was lawless and wild. And when the voiceover world started moving away from agents and directly into the hands of talent... There was a stretch there where it was lawless and wild. And I know that may sound a bit dramatic, but when you think about what happened to rates and the way that the shift came, suddenly it doesn't seem like such a far-fetched concept. Now, many voice actors didn't have a clue how to quote projects. Many voice actors didn't have a clue what fair market value looked like. But now, courtesy of the Global Voice Acting Academy, we have a guide that brings a level of clarity to the subject of voiceover rates. And my guest today... Not only a voice actor, but also the COO and creator of the GVAA Rate Guide. Welcome, David Toback. Thanks so much, Mark. It's uh, really great to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is the first time that I've ever interviewed a C-suite. So, I, you know, like <laughs> when I read that in your bio, I was like, "Oh crap, man! Now I'm all now I'm all nervous. Now I don't know, oh, how to, you know, I don't know how do I talk uh, to this guy in his big corner office or whatever." Oh yeah, yes, big corner <laughs> office. Yeah, desk next to the booth uh, that's inside my my bedroom. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? The the GVA rate guide is a big deal. It has been. Uh, I mean, it really has been a savior in some senses to the industry. I, I mean, I think about what it was like when I was first starting doing casting sites and at that point like there there wasn't any kind of rate guide at all to look for i mean a couple of the casting sites posted kind of a general overview and most of the rates were really bad and it made me think like maybe i don't want to do this voiceover thing after all but yeah it, it really has been so good for us to have the gvaa rate guide come into existence so give us the story what's how did it come to be created 
Sure. Well, first, I, I want to say thanks because uh, that that really means a lot. And I know where you're coming from is where I think everybody has come from, you know, just not understanding this playing field where we have some small portion of the of the overall industry has SAG-AFTRA and they have something very easy to follow and they don't have to worry. And it was the exact opposite for us. So, I mean, how it started was really kind of by accident, to be honest. You know, I kind of say it was in my post-it note where, you know, they were trying to create super glue and it didn't work. And then they figured it kept re-sticking and that's how post-it notes were born. Uh, that's kind of how the GVA rate guide came about to be. Um, I was just a student working with GVAA on a couple classes early in my career. And Christina Malizia, who is the founder and owner, she has a very successful career now and she stepped away from the business. But you know, she became kind of a mentor and I got a project off of Craigslist when I don't know if people still are looking on Craigslist, but that was a thing several years ago. And I got my first job and someone said, well, what do you charge? And I didn't know because I had an agent and I had online casting sites yep. and they told you what you got paid. Right. So I was like, oh, no, I got flustered. Someone wants to hire me and I don't know what to do. And I got really flustered. I asked Christina. And of course, I wanted to respond within an hour. So <laughs> I sent the email right back and said, $200. And, and, you know, the next day, Christina got me some information and she said, yeah, I probably would have charged a little bit more for that, but, you know, not horrible. And she said, here's some here's some resources for you to look at. So she gave me a, a survey that Sean Caldwell had done, who uh, was a talent out of Tampa that kind of surveyed the top 50, you know, or quote unquote, top 50 voice actors in the industry, kind of got a range of where they are. She gave me some other resources. I took some from those casting sites from, uh, you know, Edge Studio, other places, anything where there was rates. I looked at them and I said, oh, l let me put together a guide for myself. That would make sense to have like a little guide so I don't have this problem happen again. And I do come from you know the analytical world. I was in Fortune 500, you know, financial analyst and marketing analyst in the past. So I kind of just thought that this, you know, people would kind of have these things under control. And I thought I was the slacker that didn't know my rates, you know. So uh, I put it together, sent it to Christina, and she just lost her mind. She was like, oh, my, this is incredible. Like, would you, we need this for the industry. Would you help me with this? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I'm like a year in, totally green, have no clue what's going on. So that's what we did. We just started working on it, um, got together. Obviously, Christina, with having founded GVAA, had a lot of coaches and pros, you know, being a, a very solid and successful pro herself, had a lot of connections where we were able to, you know, get that information in-house and from there, we just, you know, put it together. So we worked with agents and casting directors and production companies and everybody who was kind of involved in the business to come up with what current rates should be for the different areas. And that's how the rate guide got started. And we released it and it just blew up, you know, and it is what it is now today, you know, essentially the non-union standard for for voiceover. So it's been a wild ride to see, see it, you know, we're just kind of just doing something to help. And uh, for me, it was just like, I don't want to be caught with my pants down again and not know my rates. And it turned into, you know, hopefully changing and, and helping the industry for the better. It really is the ultimate entrepreneurial story, right? You you had a problem and you solved that problem, but because it was a problem at scale, it creates a solution at scale. And so now this this thing that you created for yourself really has become in a lot of senses, it's become the industry standard. I think, uh, I mean, definitely within the U.S. market, for sure, it has become mm -hmm. the industry standard. And I don't know, show me a voice actor that doesn't look at it at least three times a week. I mean, that just yeah. seems to be the way it is now, right? So 
you you did talk a little bit about where the numbers came from in the beginning. Give us a little bit more of a, a sense of how that process has evolved, because I know that's one of the big <clears throat> questions that talent have is, you know, where are these coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, I see numbers like this, or I see numbers not even close to this, or I see numbers way above this or whatever. How yeah. do you kind of average that all out? Or, or what are your sources to bring it all together and, and put together this actual guide? That is the secret that shall not be revealed. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> basically, it's just trusted people in the business that, you know, agents, uh, production companies, casting directors, we, we kind of have a core group of people that have helped over the years. It's not something that we want to go and be evaluating every month. You know, it, it, the rates shouldn't change that dramatically and that quickly. Otherwise, we're in a very volatile type of industry. And, and that just isn't good for us. Because then think about like now you have to realize what the rates were three months ago, um, not just this month. I mean, people don't even know the difference between digital broadcast and non-broadcast for digital uh, let alone trying to track how rates change over time. And the fact is, they just don't really change that that much. You know, different things happen, you know, where maybe they, they do, the value is different or there's being more, like now we have a lot of lifts, edits, and versions being thrown into projects where that wasn't the case before. So there's more value. So if anything, the rates should should not be going down because we're, we're trying, to, you know, clients are trying to get more value out of rates uh, because of a perceived, you know, market of uh, supply and demand. So we really kind of just go to the people that are doing the work, you know, in the, the thick of it for, you know, th- those union, not union, uh, non-union projects for, so agents. I mean, they couldn't be in union. They could be a union agent as well and then have union projects. But we really want to focus on, obviously, the non-union work, what's coming in, what they're seeing now, like why they're seeing it, what are the changes. We honestly just don't do it regularly because you know, we check in, we do check in and see what, where we are, but we don't change things on a regular basis just because they, they don't need to be constantly changed. And that's kind of what we've been doing is, you know, every several months or so, we kind of keep keep track of what's going on and we talk to people. We just did a big review the past uh, few, or a couple months ago and redid uh, the rate guide. We added a digital broadcast category, which was kind of assumed in other areas and just kind of made it very clear and descript of what digital broadcast is. Um, we updated rates for audiobooks. We had some things that were a little confusing and got people that said, hey, you know, I think it's this or is that wrong? And a lot of questions around that. So we reviewed that with uh, our rates resource who works on the board for SAG-AFTRA for audiobooks. So they know their stuff and it was like, oh yeah, we need to change the wording here and there. So we do those types of things. But obviously it's people that have a solid footing in the industry are either agents, cast directors are doing the work and, and then top pros as well, you know, coaches and pros that have been doing the work for a long time and have consistent clients that have a base of knowledge of what this type of rate should command. Then you kind of get into, well, what, what are you seeing now? Like someone emailed us and said something about our YouTube rates and basically like put us down and said that, you know, you're, you're hurting the creative community because these rates are atrocious. And I didn't even know what he was talking about. So I wrote a long response asking for more information and he, Basically, it was like, oh, well, you know, there's people on, in the YouTube space that that want to pay this little bit amount and you're, you're blocking people by having these rate standards. And it's like, you know, that's that's not what this is. You know, there's different rates that are available and it's not just like we said, it's a guide. It's not a, a standard. So sometimes some people will think that rate is crazy high and it very well may be for that case. I mean, it, it's not an X and Y plot graph where you find, you know, X and then you look over here on Y and oh, there's your rate. We have to understand our business. Sometimes the circumstances call for 
something small. Maybe it's a very small company. Maybe it is a small YouTube creator that wants to do something and it's not, you know, you're not going to charge a thousand dollars because they have a very small channel. Like these are all the things that we have to understand ourselves to then use the rates appropriately to kind of figure out where, where we sit with that project. But just to kind of hone in on the actual question, we said it's usually going to be agents, casting directors, production companies, top coaches, and voice actors that are doing the work, have a successful career, and can show, oh, this is what I get paid, and this is what an expected professional rate should be. So that brings me to another question, then, because I know you said in the beginning that you drew information from a survey that Sean Caldwell had done. Mm -hmm. Now you're saying, you know, we're interviewing top talent and stuff like that. What about, so how do I word this? Where There's a big difference between a top talent in Iowa and a top talent Mm -hmm. in New York City. And probably the rates that are commanded in Iowa versus the the rates that are commanded in in New York City. So is there some sort of variable that is factored into this to to draw balance? Well, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of those rates location-wise are going to be based on broadcast where those those do change. But if you're in Iowa and you do a national TV commercial, you should be paid the same as someone who's in New York and does a national TV commercial. So I think that may be a little bit difference of – if you're working with local people in that area, like say maybe outside of the broadcast area and you're just doing, you know, local or, you know, local plus type of, of work for companies, then that can definitely come into play. But it's really hard to do that. We originally had market rates, which were really attached to broadcast, but they were the different markets, the different cities, you know, for those listening don't quite know, TV markets are a market. So the Los Angeles area is a TV market. Now that is a major network market. So every every area has its own and they can be large or small. I'm from Orlando. It's the number 17. It went up last year from 18. So that's like a, a mid-sized market. So there used to be kind of rates for certain things at different market rates based on kind of from a, a, a SAG after type of perspective is where that originally came from. But it just got really confusing and complicated. Then nobody knows, well, what well, I'm in, you know, I don't know, Davenport, Iowa. I think that's the city, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, that just popped in my head. You're in Davenport. What is that? You know, you have to understand what size market. It's probably a small market. But, you know, people have to understand that. And, well, what's a medium? Well, what's a large? And what's a major? And what is the two? And if mine isn't on that list, then what it is? I mean, do you know how many people would say, oh, well, I'm in Saskatchewan and it's not on the list? It's like, yeah, yeah, we can't have every city in the country on the list. You know, it just obviously you have a an, an assortment of things that you then relate to. Like, oh, yeah, you know, Davenport's probably the size of you know Des Moines. I don't know. And you're you kind of make assumptions. So I think that can come into play with local, like very local work that's being done at the local level. But so many times I, I would I would wonder this would be an interesting question. Like what percentage of people's work is actually in their local area? I would gather to say it was probably barely anybody that percentage wise of who gets the ma- their majority of work from a local place. So that that would depend on the talent. I think if you are getting a lot of work locally from local business and stuff, those rates may not meet their budgets. Now, you know, when we're you know, especially for like non broadcast things like that, they've got to be pretty general, though. And a lot of it is if you're in a local market, you know, with broadcast, it bears some relevance to the size of the market. So if you're doing a three-month ad, well, it's only going to be seen by so many people because of that market size. But when we do stuff for non-broadcast, we're really charging for the time that it takes for us and then the benefit of them just utilizing this content, not necessarily the breadth or the scope of the content reach. 
So someone does a, you know, an explainer video and you charge 350, does it matter if they're in Des Moines or if they're in New York City? You know, cuz then then we would be charging a lot more money for New York City because the perceived amount is higher in New York. So I kind of like it being flat for non-broadcast because everyone's getting the same type of benefit from it. Whether, you know, I guess you could be getting more benefit if your if your reach is bigger as a company, but then you're starting to kind of get into the weeds with how you then upscale your rates. Like, you know, you're doing you know, doing market research on every company that you're working with. So I think it's more of like having a baseline where you can work from and then knowing your business enough to understand who your clients are, what their rates are. And this is kind of what I teach when I coach people. It's like, you know, this is a guide. The rate guide is there. It's a guideline for you to use and understand where, you know, pretty standard rates are. But it's your business. And if you need to go down to for a client to meet their budget or it's a small business or you want to do it for charity or we have that leverage and that opportunity to do that. And that allows us to work from a place of power and authority instead of scarcity. When you know your business and you're like, yeah, it's okay, I can take $100 off the GVA rate. It's local business. You know, that's kind of where we want people to go so that they're in control of their business and, and in control of the rates. But as far as the rates, yeah, we don't we try not to take into account smaller markets in those areas because it's really going to be a much a smaller percentage of the overall, you know, case basis. I think part of what you just said there, I mean, the way I translated it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it really is just giving talent permission to break from the guide and recognizing that it is guide, not gospel. I mean, yes. is that is that fair? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I tell people all the time because, I mean, like it or not, the rate guide has become kind of this omnipotent thing. And it's like, oh, the rate guide said this. And I went to the rate guide and it's become like the thing that people use. And so they almost feel like it's their crutch. It's like, like I said, like their XY graph to find out their rates and not as an, an educational document to understand the rates. You know, people that have been in the business for years, I'm teaching them things they should have learned in their first year. You know, and and that's what's kind of dumbfounding is that we it's just an industry, not people individually, that it's something that we've we really haven't really focused on is understanding our business. (laughs) You know, what our business is, what we do in our business, you know, what constitutes an explainer video and, you know, what constitutes corporate narration. If it's online, you know, is it a web video or is that just non-broadcast use? You know, understanding how to quote and what our work is is something that is not real as uni- universal as I kind of thought it was. And I'm, I can't see the forest from the trees because I'm involved in the rate guide. So I'm a little bit biased with that. But yeah, I mean, I think I tell people all the time, like, I want you to use this so that you don't have to really use it anymore. And I wanted to educate you on projects, on rates, on market, you know, on usage, on exclusivity and perpetuity, like all these things that you need to understand but then have that power to, to under kind of know where they are. Now, I use the rate guide all the time too. Like, do I remember what the rate is for every single thing? No, but I do know where to look. And usually I'm like, oh, yep, I was right. <laughs> you know, because I do remember it and I'm just checking. So I think it's a good tool to utilize it so that you get knowledgeable about rates and then use it as your guide, as your guideline to guide your, your rates, not to be a, a standard. And that's kind of what I was saying with, and I, it can be a standard, but not the standard and, you know, like like the union contract. It kind of feels like it's becoming like that, where it's like the commercial contract. And, well, we have to use these rates. And that's not the case at all. You know, uh, these are common rates that we feel are solid rates for professionals to charge. And the, after that, you know, as long as you know where you should be, 
the business choice is up to um, to everybody individually. And, and we legally can't be, you know, like the non-union industry standard. Like that's not something we can promote. Um, and nor do we want to. You know, I want people to be able to, to command this on their own and, and understand this stuff and, and feel is confident about saying no and understanding their value is as I do. I think this might be one of the most important parts of this entire interview, regardless of where we go from here or what's already <laughs> been said, is I see all the time, and it, and it frustrates me, I see people being shamed in, in social media channels because of a rate that they're considering or a rate that they took, and, it, and people beat them over the head with the GVA rate guide. Like, if you are not following this guide, you're the reason why the industry is dying. You're the reason we're killing the industry because it has been elevated to this place where clearly it was never meant to be elevated to. Is it an incredible resource? Yes. Is there a lot of good information in it? Yes. Can we refer to it every time we need to make a quote? Yes. If we don't stick 100% to the GVAA, are we responsible for the destruction of the industry? That feels a little extreme to me. (laughs) So um, it's go- yeah. it's good to hear you say that, though, as the creator of the guide, to just let people know kind of the spirit behind where it came from, you know, and, and what yeah. it is intended to be, as opposed to how some may portray it to be something slightly different. A rising tide lifts all ships, you know, and that's kind of when I, when I got in, you know, about, I guess, about seven years ago, you know, that was, the I guess, the heyday of the wild, wild west. Now it's the different wild, wild west, I guess. But, yep. you know, it was with the rates, it was just, they were all over the place. It just nobody knew anything. <clears throat> no one had any guidelines. No one had any any direction on rates. And and I didn't, I, I wasn't good enough and in the game enough yet to know that. And so years later, I could, I could see how this, like without the rate guide, how crazy it could have been because everything would just be all over the place. There wasn't kind of a unified area to look, but it was always with uh, a sense of, here, these are, we can use this as a resource to help us so that we can all be getting what we're worth instead of it being so stagnated. And it will only help the industry so that we have kind of like these common rates that people are using so that the instance of going to one person, they say, oh, well, Johnny does it for $50. And you're like, oh, but he does it for a thousand and he does it for 300. You know, we want there to be some sort of consensus so that yeah. we're being fair to clients as well. And and that, that also helps the clients so that they can understand where things can be. But for it to be, you know, this thing where it's become was never the intention. I mean, we were like, we couldn't believe that it, it did what it did. You know, we were just like, oh, this will be cool. People will really like this. You know, there was no, you know, no chance people say like, oh, you saved the industry and you changed it. And it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. But, you know, we were just putting together a document to help people uh, figure out some rates. You know, that's really where it came from. And it's from an honest place of, you know, just trying to help and provide information. So, yeah, I, I encourage everybody, you know, understand the rate guide, you know, use it. But don't don't think that there's a, uh, you know, the GVA is coming after you if you choose a lower rate. You know, people will come to me all the time like, yeah, if you want the client, like this is where I would go. I wouldn't go lower than that, though. Still respect yourself. Yes. Still understand, you know, where you are. Maybe quote from the middle of the range so you have room to go down to the lower end of the range. You know, there's all of these things, you know, include a session fee. You could always negotiate your session fee price. You know, there's a, a host of ways where we can still secure our value without just letting it go by the money. And then I always say like, when you know your, your worth and you're, you stand up for it, people usually respect that. And they, they're like, oh, they know what's up. They know their stuff. You know, like when plumbers come in and give you a quote, 
they know what they're doing and they're very confident with it because this is the price and this is what it is and this is my job and I'm a pro. And, and you don't take it back and be like, well, I have 10% of this budget. That'll be good enough, right? Like you, you don't want to dis, you don't disrespect professionals like that. And so that's kind of where we want people to be. Like, you know what you're doing because you have this document that's helped you guide there. But at the end of the day, it's you that are controlling, you know, what projects you're going to take, what rates you're going to do and what fits well for your business and your, your life circumstances. You know, everyone has different things and, and that's kind of what we encourage. So yeah, totally agree. This should not be a, a contract. It, it should not be, and it shouldn't be spoken to as like, oh, well, you have to use the GVA rates. You know, I, I've seen that, like you said, in, in, in groups and stuff. Yeah. And I think people, you know, because it's the rate guide has been used so much that people just, you know, even if they're new or newer, they don't really understand what the rate guide really is. Because there's a lot of people that come in and they learn about the rate guide and they've only been in the business a year or two. And all they know is what's been going on with the rate guide for the past, you know, three, four, five years. They don't see it before that and they don't understand maybe what it really is. And that's to, so to them, this is like the union guide. And so then they say, oh, you got to follow this. You got to do this. And sometimes we use language really loosely, like, oh, yeah, you got to go check this out. Well, do you have to? <laughs> it's kind of a suggestion. And so sometimes inference gets lost uh, and sometimes people just, you know, suggesting things that they shouldn't suggest or don't maybe uh, don't have the experience to suggest those things in that way. And I think it comes from a place of love. People always want to help. But I agree. I see things on there and I'm like, oh, no, that's it's not right. Or, you know, we shouldn't be saying that, you know, there's not an absolutist type of thing. This is a resource that we can use just like we have different coaches and no one's going to be like, oh, well, you have to go. You have to go to Dave Walsh. That's it. <laughs> you know, we have different opinions, different uh, viewpoints. So there's different rates, you know, like gravy for the brain. There's other people that have rate cards and things like that that people can utilize. We don't say ours is the best, but, you know, we think it's really good and we want people to use it as a guide and as a, and as a resource tool and not as a as an ultimatum, essentially, for, for other talent. You have no idea how freeing this is going to be for people that are listening and hearing this right now because the perception is messed up for a lot of people that mm -hmm. that if I'm not charging or getting GVAA standard rate, I'm undercutting the industry or I'm devaluing myself or I'm probably not good enough of a talent or whatever. And so this is going to be really freeing for people. Yeah. And, and and I like that because one of the things that one of the things that I have heard in feedback from people is that sometimes they find the rates unrealistic or unattainable and they feel like, you know, these are New York, LA, Chicago, Atlanta, you know, they're they're those types of rates. And, you know, to go back to Iowa, not not because we're picking on anybody in Iowa, but <laughs> right. just to go back to that example again. I mean, I'm from Canada, right? But if mm -hmm. I work with a company in Iowa, I recognize that that production company that's creating a video is they are working with somebody local, probably. So it's mm -hmm. not local to me specifically, but it would be local to them. And I recognize that 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 company that their work that business that they're creating a video for probably doesn't have the same kind of budget as a business getting a video produced by a company in New York, for example. And so there has to be an element of, I mean, I guess common sense almost that you, yeah. you that you recognize where you're at, where your clients at, where you're working, and I just. I see voice actors that just stress out because they they're so worried that if they undercut the guide or whatever, they're going to be shamed or they're going to be ostracized or cast out of the industry or whatever. So it's so good to hear the maker of the guide saying, guys, just relax, <laughs> yeah, use it good. as a tool the way that it was intended. You know, we're all going to be all right. Obviously you don't want to be going out and quoting 
you know, 25 bucks and 50 bucks and all that sort of stuff, right? You don't want right. to massively undercut. But, you know, if like you said, if it's $100 less because it's a local company and you're comfortable with it and it works and, you know, you're not killing the industry by, by doing yeah. anything like that. So it's, it's I don't want to see any Game of Thrones. Shame. Yeah. Yeah. Shame. That's all. I, I keep yeah. seeing that scene every time. No, I mean, I think. You know, there within reason, obviously, like you made a really good point. You have someone in Iowa that's producing a, a, a video is probably working on a local ba- basis. You're you're right, unless it's you know, obviously, unless it's like some broadcast or something like that. But yeah, like you're right. A lot of times they are going to be working with a local client. The value I don't think should stray that far. But this is where the question of what is your budget is really really important mm-hmm. because. You can assess that and know right off the bat, oh, no, this isn't going to work, you know, yep. or nah, yeah, I think we can work with this, you know, and and that that's part of that negotiation, understanding your business like, oh, hey, what's your budget for this project? You know, want to make sure that we're on the same page or whatever the case, whatever you want to say to to make it sound good and, and within your natural brand, as we would say, the way you, we would talk to a client. But, you know, understanding that can help you like, OK, they're it's a little bit lower than what I would normally quote. So I'll quote this or and it gives you a better range. It gives you information to make a good educated decision on yeah. how you want to proceed with the client. And so that can be a way that can help, you know, because then, you know, you're finding out where it might be. And a lot of times they're going to say, oh, well, I just want to rate. And because it's like the whole like we don't want to say the rate first type of thing. That's yep. going to happen for sure. Absolutely. But then, you know, but that's something you can utilize to figure out like where they are, because You'd be surprised. They may just have a, a just fine budget for what we're doing. Like if they're doing an explainer video and like, oh, I want to charge three fifty, it's not really a lot of money. I mean, for you know, they're probably spending a, a lot more than that on the video. You know, so it, it could be, but it may not very well not be out of someone's budget for what you're doing because they've done research or it's something that they've done before and they've hired other people. So we don't want to just always assume that, oh, yeah, their budget's going to be lower yeah and vice versa. Like just because in New York doesn't mean it's going to be higher. It might, in fact, be lower, <laughs> you know. Yep. So those are all things to understand. And I think the one the one constant is your business and your approach. Yeah. So if you know where you are with things, you can have some wiggle room left and right, you know, yes. lower and higher of what you're doing. And, and yeah, the thing you said, like, don't stress, like there's no rate guide police. Believe me, I do not have the time to be like policing people's rates. Now, when I see them, I cringe and I stay off of Facebook now because I don't want to get involved as much. But there's no police coming around and no one checking. As long as you're getting a good solid rate that is within reason within the rate guide, you're propping the industry up. You're giving good rates. Where we come in problems is doing stuff for 50 bucks and, you know, doing like things like the way that is done a lot on Fiverr, like, oh, it's 100 words for $20 or something like that. 100 words for what? Of what? You know, and it becomes very ambiguous. Yep. Like those are the areas where we're starting to really decline and, and chart, you know, accepting really low broadcast rates, you know, like $1,000, two year, everything. Like that's when we're starting to do damage. It's probably just as important or more important on the broadcast side because that's where a lot of this stuff happens and a lot of the rate creep happens where... You can, you know, if you charge $100 less for, you know, a non-broadcast narration, like, okay. But if you get paid, you know, five times less for a commercial campaign that that ad agency and they, they all know what's going on, that's worse in my mind because now yeah. we're, we're giving permission for these jobs to come out. Like, and I know agents that aren't taking certain casting companies um, auditions anymore because of the rates or they turn them down a lot. 
you know, that type of attitude is where we need kind of need to come together to help prop up the industry just as much than or even more than $100 north and south of like this this rate range, you know, um, right. doing that to, to solidify, to say no to all lifts at its inversions and things that are are just predatory of talent, perpetuity for no money, you know, for a major soft drink brand, like things like that. We have to be able to stand up and say, uh-uh, I'm definitely not auditioning for this project that's $1,500 for, you know, a one-year buyout with perpetuity on soft drinks. Like, you've got to be nuts. You know? <laughs> like, you're destroying any potential possibility for you to do anything in that, that for the rest of the year. And then if they want to renew it, there could be a renewal, and then you have to renew it. So then are you renewing for another, you know, now it's $1,500 or 2000 Like, those are the things that drive, you know, grind my gears is when yeah. I know that people are auditioning for these projects that should never even hit their inbox, yep. you know? That's where I think it would probably be, I would be a little bit more policing than than individual rates. Because at the end of the day, that's individual business. And a lot of those things are individual clients that are really only affecting uh, you at that immediate moment. And again, like the non-broadcast stuff, usually you're going to be okay. But you just got to stay within a certain, a good range so that we feel like you're being valued. Or not we as in GVA, that like we as voice actors feel like we're yes. being valued for the work that we're doing. Absolutely. All right, let's shift gears here a little bit. There's some terms that you've been throwing around, and I want to make sure that some of those terms are ones that people have a clear understanding of, because we hear usage and session fees and buyout and perpetuity and lifts, cuts, edits, broadcast, non-broadcast, paid placement. Like, there's a lot of language <laughs> going on there. Yeah. So let's go through. Let's define a couple of those. Uh, let's start with usage. So usage is the term in which the content or the VO will be used for. It's usually applied, most cases, it's going to be applied for broadcast because there's a specific usage period, three months or 13 weeks, six months, a year, two years. And that's the time that they're purchasing the ad space for. Just like when you drive down the street and you see a billboard and you see an ad there, that's outdoor billboard space that an ad company paid for. Um, and that's how the ad gets up. And it's the same way with VO. So when someone says, oh, I don't know where this is going or you know where it's going and how long, they do. Someone does because they have to buy the ad space for it. Yep. <laughs> they may not know then. Maybe their client hasn't told them, but somebody knows because that's the only way that they can get their ad done is to actually buy the space and they don't get to just, it's not like, a, oh, we're going to pay for this one and then we get it free forever. <laughs> to put it into terms of our, our stuff, you know, it's like, oh yeah, this is in perpetuity and we, it's a full buyout for $1,000. You're like, so you get to use this forever for $1,000 and like, oh wait, that's not how we want things to work. They don't get buy one, get one free, you know? And yeah. so that's where the usage component for broadcast. Now, usage can also be in non-broadcast. I mean, it, it's simply what are people using it for? So is it internal? Is it going to be public facing? Is it put into ads? Is it e-learning? Is it an audiobook? How will this content be consumed? And for how long is essentially what usage is? So what about session fees? Cool. Well, session fee is the the fee for the time it takes to do the work for the project. These are most common. You'll see them in um, agent auditions. So you're going to be doing a broadcast spot. So the usage is how long the company is using that VO. So say it's a national commercial. Here, I'm looking at the rate guide right now. Say it's a national commercial, one year. We're going to say it's $3,200 for that one-year usage. And there's a $500 session fee. The session fee is for your time in session being directed, you know, equipment, all that stuff to get the recording done. 
Now, then the usage payment is for the time that they actually run that ad. Uh, and those are two separate line items, essentially. And the good thing with the session fee is that sometimes in broadcast commercials, they wind up scrapping the commercial or they, you know, the client doesn't like your voice. Everyone loved it. But the end client was like, no, we want, you know, my nephew. Something happens and they cut you out. Uh, you get your session fee, but you don't get the usage fee. And so session fees are very important for anything that's going to be broadcast because they very well could just say, oh, sorry, we're not going to do that. And if your payment is tied to, well, how long it ran, and, <clears throat> and that's all you're getting is $3,200 for the year, and they say no, well, now you have to go and try to build them a session fee instead of that being already built into what you're doing. So session fee is really important. People also do it for uh, non-broadcast as well. It's a lower rate usually, but it's for your time for doing that, for using your equipment, you know, your, your computer, your mic, your booth, your space, your source connect, you know, all the things that you pay for as a business, your overhead costs, session fees are, are essentially going to that. So you can either use those as a line item and say, oh, my session fee is $200 and then $300 for this work, or you can combine it all into one, you know, payment. But as long as, you know, you're, you're being taken care of for that, then you're going to be in good shape. And, and I definitely suggest doing that. Just for clarity, in the rate guide, it, it does suggest that session fees be built into the rate. So we give the client mm -hmm. one number. And I'm a big fan of doing it that way. I think yeah. when you start giving a bunch of line items, it starts to freak people out. Yep. So does the rate guide account for this? So for example, we see a rate range of uh, $300 to $525 for explainers. Does that number then include the session fee? Is that no. like in the rate guide? Nope. Okay. Because the, the session fee should be... Yeah, each session fee should be something that the individual is comfortable with. And so some people, you know, for their non-broadcast, they charge 150 because they don't want it to be, you know, 500 for, you know, for some non-broadcast thing, you know. So I think that's really up to everybody to set their own uh, session fee, and that's why we don't have it in there. You know, if you want to be able to negotiate, you can use the highest, the high side of the range <clears throat> and say like, okay, I know I'm getting, this is a really good rate, and this includes my session fee. And if they need to negotiate, I still am going to be able to, you know, I have this session fee that I, I've booked in at $200. So say it's a one year nationwide, $3,200. Like, okay, my session fee is going to be $200. So it's $3,400. And they're like, oh, well, we only have $31. So now you're coming down on your session fee. You're negotiating a little bit, but you have that room to wiggle because you've given them that one number that you know is higher. So I like everybody kind of having their own usage, their own session fee that they want to put in and instead of us telling them what a session fee should be. So what about lifts and edits? That's one that you've tossed around a couple times yeah. and I know that's one that confuses a lot of people. Yeah. So lifts, edits, and versions, uh, you'll see, uh, kind of, it's, it's something that's been common, commonly coming up in agent auditions, but you know, it's going to catch wind, I'm sure. And I've seen it on pay to play as well. But basically what that is, is you do a session, let's say a 60 second script and they make a 30, a 15 and a six second cut of that. And so you may hear cuts too, electronic cuts or electronic edits or electronic lifts, something like that. All of these are basically taking the work of one spot and creating multiple spots from it. Um, that Those should all be separate spots because they're going to run in different ad buys. And that's how we really understand what they are. Like just say it's Coke, right? They don't get to buy one ad placement for a 60 second ad and then get 30, 15 and six for free. <laughs> that's not how advertising works. They, people would laugh, but that's what they do to us. They're like, oh yeah, we're, we have this 60 second script and then whatever, anything from the session, we get to use however we want. 
You know, so that's essentially what is happening with Lyft's edits and versions. They're creating more content from like one script. So if you go in and do three scripts and they're going to do a 30, a 15 and a, and a six from like, they're going to come out with, you know, three times three, nine different spots they could use from one session and pay you for one usage. That's what they wind up doing. This is one commercial. And then they don't even say it's, mo- it's per script. It's like, this is just what we're doing. So we have to be vigilant on what that is. So the lifts, edits, and versions can come b- back to bite us. I saw one that was, it was unlimited and they had 12 scripts. And I was like, this is going to be an entire year campaign for like $3,000. You know, this is outrageous. And so that's what we have to understand what that means so that we can be sure that if we want to do this project or to avoid it or to scratch it out of a contract or negotiate out of that, maybe by saying, hey, I want to put a limit on that to five lifts and see what they say. And a lot of times, you know, I heard this from casting director, a very popular one not too long ago, a few weeks ago, that they've been seeing that a lot because the creative, they don't know and, and by that, I'm meaning all lifts and edits and versions is they put that on there because they don't know what the campaign's going to be. Things keep happening quicker and quicker and quicker. So I'm pretty sure, like, are we ever going to start if we keep getting faster <laughs> with how things need to go? Yeah. But it's like things keep happening quicker, quicker, quicker. So the ideas go down the pipe. You know, everything has to get out faster in the internet age we live in. So these production companies have this guideline, but they don't know, they don't have all the parameters. And so they're like, well... We don't know. They haven't decided if we're going to do six or four spots. So we can't book ourselves in. So we just do unlimited. And like, oh, you know, we don't have the budget to do a whole campaign. What, you know, So on their side, on the ad agency side, they're like, oh, we don't have a budget to do a whole campaign. And it's like, yeah, but when you say all lifts, edits, and versions, that's contractual language. Like you're telling us you could do, you legally could do whatever you want and we have to protect ourselves. And they're like, oh, no, we don't want to rip off any voice actors. You know, So I think there's this big disconnect between all the players you know, that are involved in this is to understanding what that is and how that affects us. But in any instance, we want to be very cautious with all lifts, edits, and versions, even though it's out there very much because it can come back to bite us. And it's really just a devaluation and not getting our value. You know, if Coke does that and they they get four commercials out of one session and they pay one usage fee, a multi-billion dollar company is essentially, you know, robbing a voice talent of work because they just want to make some more money. So that's kind of what we need to be able to, to understand, to protect ourselves, stand up to it, and educate, you know, hopefully educate the clients to that as well. And to just to clarify, we're just using this as an example for demonstration purposes. We're not speaking of any specific jobs or making any specific accusations, but it is important to understand yeah. this. And here's one of the other things that I think comes into play in all of this. So many voice actors are afraid to push back because they're so desperate for the job mm-hmm. or they're so afraid they will lose the job that they're not willing to speak up and say, hey, what about this? Or can we negotiate this? Or can we cross this out? Or can we talk about this? Which is a whole other podcast episode, I think, <laughs> for is. a whole other day, getting into you know that scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. But it is important that voice actors understand that we are bringing something of value to the table. And we're a business negotiating with a business. And we need to see ourselves as a business negotiating with a business. Mm-hmm. And that business, if they're a legitimate business, should expect that there's going to be some questions or some negotiation or some comments or whatever, because you know darn well that they're doing it on their end to protect their end. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, I think th- that's the biggest thing that you're the, the scarcity mindset. The mindset piece is we won't go into it in detail, which I talk about that a lot too. But I think that is everything it has to do with it. We don't see ourselves as like pros and experts in the area where you know we should get that we should command that money. We're like, oh, I'm so thankful, I'm so grateful that they hired me. And you can be like, I'm grateful when I get hired for sure. But I think it's it's about how it's processed and perceived. And like you said, we're always like trying to get the, like, oh, no, I don't I don't want to upset them. And a lot of it is we're projecting our own insecurities of our business onto the way that we're running the business. Yeah. And, and not it being like I always tell people, like they picked you. They need you. They want you. Yes. <laughs> what yes. else do you need? You know, it doesn't like and it's a lot of it's our own projection. Like, oh, I, I'm not as good as. James Arnold Taylor, so I must suck, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, there's, there's all these people, there's always someone better than you. It's very objective, right? What's better yeah. and what's not. But we put that in our mind of, oh, well, I'm only here. I'm only three years in. Do I really deserve this? And and it becomes that instead of just being like, oh, this is my business and this is my prices. Like if you're selling socks online and you have a cool little brand my friend did this for a while. He kind of did a, a brand and it was like mustache themed and had like socks and bow ties and things like that. You know, you're doing that. You know what your cost is for the products. You know what your shipping costs were. You know what your packaging pros- costs are. You know all the costs associated with and then you have a margin. And you don't just go like, oh, man, I really want David to buy my socks. I'm going to sell them for 25% off today just to him just because I'm not confident in my product. You know, nobody does that when they have a retail business because it's not them. Yep. And voiceover is us. It's our voice. It's our vulnerability. It's our acting. And we tend to be very guarded with that. And we're not kind to ourselves about that. Like if you have your, like you said, the sock business, you're, you're not doing the same types of things like that because you see it as a thing. We don't, I don't think we see voiceover as a business as much. And that mindset is more of a statement of us and our value as 100%. individuals. Yeah. When we step outside of that, and just be like, look, like, yeah, they're going to negotiate, you know, and, and half time when you negotiate, they miraculously find money. You know, like this is how business works a lot of times. You know, we have to have that ability to say no so that we're operating and, and doing ourselves a service, you know, in that way. And, and just sound like we're professionals. If we if we're wavering and un, unsure of our business, even if we're, you know, have a straight face with it, it's going to come out at some point. But when you operate like knowing your business and being okay, say, hey, like I'm not, I'm not good with that, but I'd like to do this. Hey, I crossed this out of the contract. You're again operating from a place of power and authority instead of, and not power over people and authority over people, but internally yourself. You're like, no, I'm good. I believe in this. I know this is the rate. I'm willing to, go- to negotiate. I'm willing to build a relationship. But if that's not something that we can work with, I'm not sacrificing my morals and my standards and my rates just to get a job because the next one, you know, basically when you make space for something, something else will fill it. So I I don't believe that like, oh, man, if I don't get this $250 job that should be $500, the world's going to end. No, you're probably, you know, if you got that $500 job next week, you'd make twice as much money. Right. So I kind of look at it that way and just being strong in what and where we are as a business and who we are and what we bring to the table, like understanding you know, when Coke pay, selects you to sell their ad, sell their product, they don't do that advertising campaign for their health. Um, they spend lots of money, millions of dollars on campaigns to make bazillions of dollars, you know, in revenue off of those ads. Yep. And so when they put you in a Coca-Cola ad, that means they believe that you are going to sell their product that intrinsically has value. And it doesn't matter if it's Coca-Cola or, you know, some cement company, like 
they are utilizing you to sell and to promote their company. And that has value. And so when we, it's not just, oh, there's just some voice. And, and if that's the way it is, then they're just playing the, well, that's good enough game. And that, that's not really the game I want to play. I don't want to be good enough. You know, I want to be selected because I'm, I'm good and that's what they want and that's what they need. And not just like, oh, any voice will do. I think that's the delineation between talent. You know, what kind of talent do you want to be? And I want to be an upper echelon talent, and I am, and that's how I command my business, and that's what I do, and that's what you do, Mark, and that's what a lot of other people do. They see themselves as a top pro and as as a professional, and they should earn that, and they operate their business that way. And when we operate our businesses that way and we, we ask questions and we say no to things and we, you know, they respect us just as much, maybe even more. One of the things you said, they, they chose you, they want you, they need you. If knowing that you still cannot operate from a place of confidence, then there's a deeper issue, right, that, that needs to be sorted out for you, the individual, because otherwise you are going to get eaten alive in this business. But they yeah. chose you, they want you, they need you. That should give you all of the confidence that you need to, to move forward and to, to be willing to ask questions, to negotiate, whatever, So we're talking definitions, the two most hated and perhaps feared words in the rates universe, buyout and perpetuity. And yet there are still a lot of people that don't really understand what that means. So why should our spidey senses be tingling when these words pop up? Ah, yes. Okay. So this is, uh, there's a lot of confusion around some of these words and just, you know, uh, not in a negative way, but just, you know, ignorance of what they, what they mean and what they, they are. And so... Um, basically a buyout is how long, like buyout follows usage. We talked about usage a little bit ago, right? So if it's a one-year usage, it's a one-year buyout. They're buying out the audio for that period. So buyouts aren't intrinsically bad. And there has been confusion with, oh my God, it's a buyout. They want a buyout. Well, yeah, they're always a buyout. It just, they're a length of a buyout. Now, if they say a full buyout, or, you know, buy out in perpetuity, now they want it forever. So that's where perpetuity comes in. So I wanted to make sure that we clarified that buy out isn't a dirty word. It's one that gets associated with the dirtier side of perpetuity. So perpetuity is forever. Now, like it may not sound that bad, like, oh, okay, they want to use this forever. Like, how long are they really going to use it? Like, are they, you know, that's not things you'll hear. Like, how long are they really going to use this commercial spot for? They can use it for five years. No, they're not. However, when you go into a contract with perpetuity, now you have the potential for that to be aired. So even though they probably will never do it, you you could do something under in perpetuity. They run a commercial, they run it for a year, and they never use it again. However, they have the right to use it. So, and where this comes up and is a big factor and why people really need to understand this is that say that that was Coke, and you did this thing and it says in perpetuity and then something, you know, a year later comes up and it says no conflicts, no, no soft drink brands. Well, even though that commercial isn't running, you agreed to perpetual use. So they could use that at any point in time without your knowledge and without your consent. So what that means is that you no longer can audition for any jobs that you have a conflict for. So if you do that enough you run out of things you can audition for at some point. Now, conflicts, they're not always there, but they happen. And they usually happen with the bigger stuff. So, you know, if you're doing in perpetuity for some small soft drink or some, some local company, Coke's not going to care. If they have a conflict for soft drinks, 
it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to do it. And even if you try to sneak it in and they find out, you get sued. So if you have a conflict and then you audition and you book and they find out about the conflict, they come after you. (laughs) So these are legal documents. It's big business. You know, they put those things up there for a reason. So understanding what in perpetuity means, it means forever. Now, you can absolutely do those for things like like e-learning, audiobooks, non-broadcast stuff. Those become naturally used endlessly usually. You know, there's no conflict a company could say, "Hey, you did some you did some e-learning work for, you know, Coke. I'm not hiring you." Like they wouldn't they don't even care about that. It's more about public yep. public hearing and and seeing. So that's where you want to avoid in perpetuity unless it's non-broadcast. And if it is in broadcast, it should be a super rare category that you're not worried about and a lot of money, a lot, like a lot, a lot of money. Usually the, it's so much money that they're, the people are like, whoa, 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 what do you mean it's $150,000? You're like, well, yeah, you might take me out of work for the rest of my life <laughs> in, in this thing. And I say that so that it's jarring. Like if you accept in perpetuity, you could be shutting yourself out from work for the rest of your life. So that's, we need to understand that. And that's why it's serious because a lot of people are like, oh, whatever, but just wait until it bites you. And then you're like, oh man, now I'm in trouble. Like I can't do this anymore. So that's really important. And the conflicts that are associated with perpetuity, you know, you can have, you know, in perpetuity creates a potential conflict forever. And a conflict is not the same thing. Obviously a conflict comes from the client. Like, hey, I am Coke. I do not want anyone that is doing anything in soft drinks. That's a conflict that the client puts forward. Yep. But your perpetuity now fits the, the conflict that is being associated. So they're, they're two different things, but they, they're like cousins. They wind up meeting together because yep. a conflict can be created by in perpetuity or by exclusivity that someone could, could grant you to. Like, oh, you can only work for us. You know, the exclusive. So it means you can't audition for anything else. I saw one that was for a, a pizza chain. It was a lot of money. Like, well into the six figures. And they said no commercials of any kind for a year, zero. Like you'd have to take a year off of commercial voiceover, but it was enough money where you say, thank you, please. I'll be in Costa Rica. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and so that's where, that's where those things make sense. So those are the things you have to understand. And that's where perpetuity can bite you, but it's so key because a lot of times they don't even know what they're doing when they put that up there. And when you explain it, like, hey, if I do it this way, like I could be out of work. Like, oh, yeah, no, we don't need that. And they, and they change it because they understand. So us understanding those things and then communicating it to the client can help us avoid some of those situations and not just, oh, well, it's in perpetuity, you know, and, and mostly we're talking about this for the broadcast stuff, you know, and that's where you'll see it. You'll see it on you know, TV and radio ads in perpetuity. And, and again, it could be like, oh, they don't know how long they want to run it. So they're just going to put it forever. And they're just, they're just ignorant to the fact of what perpetuity does for us as voice actors. Or they're just using um, a generic contract that nobody ex- has actually in the legal department has looked at in 10 years. And so they don't exactly. even realize that they're asking for it. And that's why it's okay for us to ask a question about that yeah. and, and to ask the question professionally, not coming back, attacking them for trying to steal your living or whatever, because they may yeah. not even realize that it's there, but just coming back and explaining, actually, this is a concern for me and here's why and what, you know, can we do anything about this? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's something I learned, I'm learning and communicating with live, real life people is respond to the words and, and not the meaning, right? Yeah. So they may say like, oh, our bu- our budget's only this. And you can hear that is like, oh, our budget's only this. And you're like, and, but they really meant to like, oh, our budget's only this. So 
we don't like that. It's like, oh, how dare they? That's such a rude rate. That's such a low rate. And I'm guilty of it. I think we all are. We see that. We're like, well, you got to be kidding me. Mm -hmm. But when we respond to them, we need to respond in a way that, like you said, like they have no clue. Like they may very well not understand it at all. Like you said, it could be boilerplate plate contract yep. and you can just cross those things out and say, Hey, that, that doesn't, that's not something I can do. I cross that out and half the time like, Oh yeah, no problem. So yeah, understanding that stuff. And, and, and again, yeah, like you said, being able to ask questions, do it professionally, take a step back. If it's something that, you know, seems like it's a really rude rate, you know, don't go to Facebook and, and bitch first. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, thank geez. you for saying you know, that. Uh, just go and, be an adult you and know, have a conversation. Exactly. Have a conversation. Hey, yeah. that's, that's, you know, it's far too low below my rates. Like this is what I would charge, you know, do it from a place of education and be the best customer service agent you can be. I've had to learn to step back and be like, okay, like think of them. Like they were in a rush. They just didn't read the email, whatever it is. Like we, we have to really come from a place of trying to be neutral and being a really good customer service agent for your, you know, but that's you. We wear all the hats. So you also have to be really good at customer service and talking to people and making sure that your words come out in concise ways that, that don't have attitude behind them, whatever type of attitude that may be, you know, or, or I I should say emotion, not attitude. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that for sure. So here's a fun question for uh, for the rate expert because this is a this is a hot button issue in the industry right now. AI is coming, whether oh. whether we like it or not. AI is coming. There are voice actors yes. that are already working on creating AI versions of their voices. Yep. Does the GVAA have a plan for this new segment of the industry as far as determining market value? Like I will, in full disclosure, I'm working with a company right now. And this is one of the conversations that we're having is like, we don't know what the market is. And when we say what the market is, we're speaking dollar value. We don't know what the market value is for this yet. It's that new, right? Yeah. It's it's pioneering. So even the AI companies are starting, are trying to figure this out. So I'm mm-hmm. just curious if you guys have had any conversations with any of these companies that are creating voices. Is there going to be a you know, are, are you going to have an involvement there? Is that something that you're looking at? Because because it is coming and we don't want to get left behind. Well, I've had some conversations with some people, definitely. And you're right. It's it's really complex. And, and I went after it is like, oh, let's I want to would love to talk about rates for AI stuff. And because I don't really know exactly what's going on. I talked to someone in the industry who's really well known and produces a lot. You know, I won't say their name specifically, but really, really great people. And They've been doing a lot of AI work, you know, for the past several years, speakers and things like that. And so it was like, well, you know, yeah, let's get some rates down. And he's like, well, that's really hard. You know, like, what are we talking about? I was like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, you could be doing something for a speaker, but you could also be doing something to be the voice of something. You could also be, uh, you know, having your voice used in, you know, just in regular projects, your AI voice used for speed for certain things. And so what winds up happening is that it's almost like an AI rate guide mm-hmm. because there would almost need to be an AI rate for all of the different areas. And so what, what they really work on is the rates don't really change because the work is the work. You know, the, the usage is the usage. If someone wants a one-year regional you know, TV commercial, it shouldn't matter that it's an AI voice or a human voice. I guess they're all human voices, but... You know, 
someone live doing that because what they're paying for is the usage. And so what they've focused on a lot is the contract language to make sure that there are things, you know, protecting the voice actor from being abused in, in, in an AI sense. So I think it's, it's a little difficult to understand exactly, you know, what are we talking about? Because some people I've seen, you know, there's TTS projects that go out helping to be the data set for like some tests. I see those on, on uh, Voice123 and I would, I would suggest not doing those <laughs> just in <laughs> case. But, you know, they're like, oh, you know, say these, you know, thousand words or these thousand lines and in you're creating some sort of AI engine for them or their, their AI voice. But then you have the things where they're just utilizing the voice for an ad and they just don't want to have a human do it. They want it to you know, be quick and exactly like maybe say an explainer video. Right. And I know, you know you've done a fair share of explainer videos. And so that could come up where they could use your voice for that and it would just be the same price. Right. Like they, they would go to this company and like, oh, we want to use Mark's AI voice and the rate would be what it normally would be. It's just they're not having you physically do it. And then you're getting paid, you know, for that usage time. There are, you know, instances of, you know, what's the value if they're just using it? Is there licensing? You know, is there usage? It's it's a really complex type of deal. And I think it's it's hard to understand it in full scope, but it is something that, you know, we've been talking about, you know, since, you know, probably for several months now. We've been batting it around and talked to a few people and just getting firm rates on things, it's it's just so it's so volatile that we just don't know where it's going to land as far as how it's going to be utilized. Like we know that there's like speech alo and there's these programs that are people people are using them and they're using them for low cost things. And so when we start using, you know, our AI voices, I think it will need to be how is this voice being used? However it's being used, the same rates should apply. So therefore we're not really giving a rate just for AI, they're still paying for the usage of what they're doing. They're just going about getting the VO in a different way where they don't want to spend time doing a directed session and things like that. If that means the rates go down in some areas, maybe maybe explainer video rates, some people may have the view that they should go down because you're not doing the work. But I would say your voice did <laughs> all the years of training to be able to be good enough to do that. So I think there's some debates to be had. I would probably try to do it, you know, as long as this was something that that seemed to be accurate in the industry. I think following the rates as where they are for those usages, like if they're just using, like you said, you're having your voice created and they're just using it for what they want. Another thing is when you're doing something, you know, maybe directly for a speaker or you're doing actual TTS or you're doing, you're creating a voice for a profile for them to use for whatever they want, you know. So there's, very, there's various ways that AI can be used, and I don't think I don't understand them 100. percent I don't I don't think most I don't think of any do. of us understand yeah. them 100. percent We're trying yet. to figure yeah. out, yeah, like how are they using AI and what? Because that's what we need to find out. If someone says, "Oh, I need a voiceover," like you're like, "Okay, well, for what?" Like you know, you need to know all these information to be able to understand what the project is and be able to quote it and see if it's something you can do. So the same thing with AI. You know, how are they using the audio? How they get it? should be irrelevant, you know, in a usage sense, you know, the usage doesn't matter if they cut it from another spot or they had, you know, a robot say it, or they had someone in a directed session for two hours, do it. They're paying for the usage. Usage is usage is usage. So I think, you know, that can be kind of eliminated, but we do get into weird ground when it starts 
you know, being used in different areas, different ways than we're used to, and how we then correlate that to what we are used to and the rates that that we we are in. So it's it's definitely something on on the mind, and you know, it's a good reminder to see that kind of maybe do some more work on that going into the new year. It's one of those subjects that you know, for the most part, the industry doesn't want to talk about because mm-hmm. we literally just see it as the robots are coming and they're taking all of our jobs. I, I don't yeah. think that's specifically what's going to happen, but I also think that as an industry. My feeling is that it would be incredibly irresponsible for us to just ignore it and hope that it goes away because that's when we're going to get bulldozed by it and and completely left behind. And so that's why I just, I mean, for me, that's why I'm exploring it because if there's an opportunity for me there, if that's a way that I can extend my business and open up to a new audience and I want to explore that, I don't want to get left behind there. But there are a lot of questions coming not just from voice actors, but coming from the companies that are, that are creating these two about, you know, what do we charge or what's fair? or How's this all going to work or whatever? So it, it would be nice to know that from the voiceover side of the industry that, you know, somebody like GVAA was maybe trying to participate in those conversations a little bit so that we have a little bit of representation there. When you said you were talking about we need to be involved in it and not, and you, you said something about, um, we just stand there and watch it happen and and not do anything about it and, and not be involved. And that's exactly what voiceover did with the internet. And one of the, probably the reason why we are where we are and why the rate guide, you know, needed to be made and a lot of these other things is because the union didn't want to take the internet seriously. And so they, you know, they were like, oh, it's old school. We don't need to do anything. And, and despite lots of warnings that, hey, the Internet's here, people are doing work online and there's these casting sites. Like, they just didn't want to hear about it because they were the union and they kind of just swept it under the rug. And now, you know, we are where we are today with, you know, a vast majority of the work being non-union, which is OK. But the Internet having a massive presence and it, it was a massive disruptor to the industry because we weren't prepared to kind of funnel it and to be, shape it the way that we could, it would help the industry. So the internet came in and then the free market was just like, no, I want to pay you $5, not what you really are worth. And so we, we already saw what would happen if we're not involved and not active. You know, we've had, we've had this preview already. And so I agree wholeheartedly that that's this is something that we don't need to just like, oh, they're coming for us and there's nothing we can do. If we set the stage and we educate ourselves and, and learn and know how AI can be used and how it could benefit us as well, potentially, and utilize it for that, but then being along for the ride to make sure that the companies that are using this, like you're doing right now, is that you're creating a voice and maybe it's a company going to use it, that they understand the value of the voice actor. And it does present a good uh, a good opportunity because I've been on Clubhouse several times and se- several uh, you know discussions in the past when I think everyone just flocked to Clubhouse, right? But there was stuff on AI and they were saying like, oh no, we want to work with actors. We want to make sure that they're being, you know, that's not our goal. We, you know, they're tech people, mm-hmm. you know, they're like real tech and they're not about, they're not the production side and have a budget and trying to save money and squeeze extra dollars out of the whole project. You know, that's not where they come from. So we have an opportunity to work with those people to to help them understand our industry and help shape those things so that we can hopefully have a market, you know, where the tech people are valuing what they're doing and understanding that what they're doing and not just go and be like, oh, we're just going to take everyone's jobs. We're going to take this over. Like, that's not really what they're trying to do. They're trying to create this tech that changes the world. And there's always going to be bystanders. You know, when they created the computer, 
did we cry about typewriter companies going out of business? You know, um, so that's kind of what happens in, in their disruptors. And we have to be able to say, hey, like the typewriter company need to be like, hey, we need to make keyboards now or we need to do need to do this. We always have to be shifting because we can't control what other companies are going to do. The technology is just going to continually expand. I mean, if you ask someone, a voice actor, you know, 30 years ago, if the almost everybody in the industry would have a home studio and they'd be working from home, they would probably like, like, what are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> you know, they would, they would think you were crazy. So things change and we do have to be there to see that change to either provide, you know, cover for it so that, or in protection against it harming us or to understand it and utilize it to our benefit. So yeah. I don't think being afraid of it is the answer. I think understanding it is and being Absolutely. part of the solution. Yeah, Absolutely. We'll have to revisit like a year from now and see where it's developed and, and how the conversation has progressed because yeah. it is, it's something that is evolving and it's, it's not going to be avoided. So no, it's I want to, I want to respect your time. I know we're running a little long here, but I did have one more question sure. I wanted to get in. And if you know, you got to give us the short version or whatever, something no that's been coming up more and more is this concept of digital broadcast as a, as a category. Mm -hmm. Can you just help us understand a little bit what is meant when we start seeing jobs, auditions, opportunities, and a conversation evolving around digital broadcast? Yeah, sure. So uh, right now, digital broadcast is probably the most broadcasted form of media there is. So digital broadcast is a commercial that is on the internet. If we really want to make it very basic. So when you have you know, anything that is being put into paid placement on the internet, whether that be social media ads, whether that be YouTube pre-roll, mid-roll, after-roll, anytime they can run an ad, yep. <laughs> YouTube ads, um, that can be on streaming services, radio, TV, you know, anything that is digital and or anything that is that is distributed over the internet is essentially digital broadcast. And we separated that out because we used to have a, a web usage category and it kind of combined everything. And it was like, oh, this is for things on the web. But now like we have TV broadcast and we have radio broadcast. We should have digital or internet broadcast as well. Like that is the different medium. Uh, TV is the medium. Radio is the medium. Digital internet is the medium for which it, it's used. But it needs to be put into an ad. So yes, you can run something on your social media page. Say it's company XYZ. They hire you to do a video. You do the video, they put it on their YouTube and their social media. That is not digital broadcast. That's still non-broadcast because it's not being put into paid placement. So anything that is an advertisement with money behind it being placed on the internet in any form, anywhere, is essentially digital broadcast. And then our category on the rate guide breaks it down into two segments, essentially TV, streaming TV and, stream, and streaming radio Okay, to make it sim simplistic. If that's possible. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We got to be careful. There's what? 4.6 billion active users on the internet. So I love when I see a client that says, yeah, this is only going on the internet. Oh, yeah. Only. It's only yeah. going out in front of pretty much yeah. the entire world. So the internet. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. That's yeah. just going online. Yeah. Well, what so does that mean? We have to for learn. Them, they know. Yeah. Definitely got to learn how to protect ourselves. All right. Well, yeah. David. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't know where to find the GVAA rate guide at this point, but just in case, if somebody's looking for the GVAA rate guide, how do we get access to it quickly and easily? Super. Well, we created a new URL called gvaaRateGuide.com. 
So it's really easy to remember. That is If I had to easy. tell you the URL <laughs> of the previous one, I wouldn't be telling you. <laughs> it's too long. Um, so yeah, that one is a quick, uh, it's a redirect to the main rate guide. We did get, when we released that URL, we did get people asking, well, is the other one still there? <laughs> it's like, yes, we're not giving up on seven years of uh, SEO. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so the original one is there, but we just have a, a hyperlink for easy URL. Nice. And it's easy to give to clients too. Uh so yeah, gvaaRateGuide.com. And I know that you do some coaching, rate consultations and things of that nature as mm-hmm. well. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do, how do they do it? Sure. Uh, all coaching can be purchased on the Global Voice Acting Academy website. That's globalvoiceacademy.com. Uh, and there's a section for one-on-one coaching and it's under rate negotiation. I also do uh, some performance coaching and you can always reach out to me if you're connected with me or, or reach out uh, through the socials. I can get back to you that way as well. And I'm at David Toback, pretty much everything. Okay. So you can find me there and we can coordinate it. And I do offer free consultations as well, not to consult on rate questions, but for consults in general, for sure. All right. I will throw that information into the show notes so that uh, it's easy for everybody to find. David, this has been absolutely amazing. And like I said at the very beginning, I think that just the early part of the conversation, giving people the freedom to work with the guide as a guide and just explaining what the original vision and mission was. I think that's going to be huge for people. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to share with us and for all of the knowledge that you have dropped off on us. We, I'm, I'm so grateful. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It's been great. And the more people can can learn and, and uh, we can share the information, the better. So I really appreciate it. If there was anything that you were unsure of with regards to voiceover rates, hopefully you've got the answers that you're looking for now. So much good information shared in this episode of the podcast. And David really broke down some of the Some of the more common themes that I see, some of the more common questions that are getting asked in Facebook groups and questions that I'm getting asked from people who are emailing me or they come up in coaching sessions and consults, and hopefully you got all the answers that you needed. And this is a resource that you'll be able to come back to every once in a while if you need to revisit it, because there really was a ton of amazing information that was shared there. And of course, the GVGA rate guide an absolutely invaluable tool for any voice actor that is trying to run a business and trying to make sure that they're getting fair market value for their services. If you enjoyed the episode, would you do me a favor? Would you please let us know that you are listening by sharing it in your Instagram stories? You can tag me at Mark Scott, tag David Toback at David Toback, and I'll put those into the show notes so you can see them. Let us know that you're listening. Let us know that you are learning. Let us know that you enjoy the episode And of course, if you're looking for more actionable, practical advice, you will find all of the episodes in the archive. Listen to any of them at vopreneur.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you on the next one. The Everyday Vopreneur Podcast. Available everywhere fine podcasts are given away for free. Mostly, we think. Having your voiceover demos easily playable and downloadable on your website is essential. The Voice Sam Player lets you do that across any device and browser. There are also options for adding play buttons in your email signature, tracking your listens, and even putting videos in your demo player. Sign up now at voicezam.com slash markscott and receive an instant $25 credit. For full details and to claim this offer, visit voicezam.com slash markscott. And see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging in. 
Thanks for hanging out. Want more Vopreneur goodness? Jump online at vopreneur.com.